This week on Priority One, Shabon is back on Instagram with more answers to fan questions before heading to The Hollywood Reporter to discuss Nepenthe. Next, Jonathan Del Arco talks Hugh, and Star Trek has an answer to COVID-19. In gaming news, the Legacy Bundle bugs get fixed, and the STO team has big plans for the summer event ship. Then we look on screen to Episode 7 of Star Trek Picard, Nepenthe. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 452 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded live on Tuesday, March 10th, 2020, and available for download or streaming on Friday, March 13th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kat. And I'm Tony. And in our audio booth is our chief audio engineer, Skiffy. Hello. Before we jump into the news, we want to invite you to join in on the weekly conversations, whether via social media platforms like facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, on Twitter or Instagram at Priority One Pod, or by email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, we work really hard to produce this podcast from week to week. Unfortunately, that is not an inexpensive endeavor. The tools that we use, like Adobe Audition, Google Drive, all of these things are necessary in order to make sure that our team of volunteers, people who are not getting paid for the work that they do on Priority One Podcast, can do that work efficiently. But in order to do that, we need your help. As I just said, we are a group of volunteers with a passion for Star Trek, and we believe we're carving our own little corner of podcasting news in the Star Trek universe. So if you can, check us out over at Patreon and find out about all the cool perks we offer to those of you that can offer a financial contribution to the show. It's a monthly donation. It's charged once a month to your credit card or whatever form of payment you sign up with, and you'll get perks like joining us on our Captain's Table Discord channel, an exclusive closed Discord channel only for our patrons and hosts and crew of the show so that you guys can talk directly with us throughout the week, whether it's discussing the latest episode of Picard or a tweet or something in Star Trek Online. It's a way for you to keep in touch with us between episodes. Speaking of patrons, we want to welcome Dandelion and thank Timothy Massing for growing our Patreon family. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. Just as he has the previous two weeks, Picard's season one showrunner, Michael Shabon, answered fans' burning questions on Instagram Live. Just like the previous iterations of the quick-scrolling Q&A, Shabon had some fun things to say, some insightful thoughts, and a ton of information about Star Trek's newest series. Be advised, from this point forward, spoilers aplenty are inbound. 
As you'd likely guess, many questions arose about this week's guest stars, Riker and Troy. When asked about Riker's reserve status, Shabon responded, quote, He retired from active duty when he was still captain of the Titan. Were he ever to be called up to active service, he would presumably retain that rank, end quote. Shabon later told a fan that much of Riker and Troy's backstory never made it to the screen, and the Titan was referenced but later dropped for reasons Shabon could not recall. In regards to why Riker and Troy left active duty, Shabon said, quote, Riker and Troy made the obvious but painful choice to go on inactive states and move to Nepenthe for the sake of their family and their child's life, end quote. Then he asked a question that our very own Skiffy was wondering about. What about those emergency holograms not being included in the synth ban? What about them? Shabon said, quote, It was certainly debated by Federation policymakers, but a distinction was drawn, possibly because some fail-safes and limitations had already been put in place in the wake of the experience with Voyager's doctor, end quote. What do you think about that, Skivy? I think that that is an answer. <laughs> I mean, if, if, the Feder if the doctor from Voyager was enough to save the holographic race, so to speak, I don't understand why data wasn't enough to save the uh, synthetic race. Finally, Shabon explained the killing of Hugh. Well, eh, sort of. He said, quote, One of the stories we are telling in this season of Picard is a story about the tragedy of being Borg, or more precisely, of being assimilated, and then, even more poignantly, being restored from assimilation and struggling forever after with assimilation's traumatic legacy. In a very unique way, Hugh was able to recontextualize his trauma into something that brought healing and hope to others which gave purpose and brought healing to himself. But his predicament, like that of all former Borg, as he explained to Picard in episode 106, remained essentially tragic. And tragically is how he dies, cut down by someone who sees him as a disgusting monster at the moment when he makes his boldest claim to dignity and freedom." End quote. If you can believe it, we only scratched the surface of the Q&A, so for a link to Shabon's Instagram post, check out the show notes. So you're not satisfied with the limitations of the hologram, being that it needs a hollow emitter? I mean, I feel like synthetics could have very similar limitations put in place if they're programmed that way. I, I mean, the three rules. Data, Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, kind, yeah, basically. Uh, Data had an off switch. He did. I, I, I don't know if I don't know what else to to say. Well, yeah, he did have to grab his thigh to make it happen. And so, you know, when they filmed it in the 80s, I guess that was okay. But here in the enlightened 25th century almost, <laughs> yeah. re you know, reaching around Android's backside to grab his off switch, I don't know. Might not be kosher anymore. Now, probably one of my favorite teases from this Q&A by Shabon is that we might actually see the new Enterprise on screen in this show. What, they're going to end season one the way they ended season one of Discovery? I don't know about that, but... I mean, they're, they're they're stealing stuff from every place else. So, I mean, I guess why not? I mean, if you steal from yourself, it's not even really stealing. It's an homage. Right. But is it going to be the F? Can't do I know it's it. the F in the, com in the comics. Oh, I don't know. He didn't specify. Please let it be the J. No. No. <laughs> no. The guy who designed that ship doesn't even like it. Doug Drexler hates that ship. It's a terrible ship. That's true. Mm-hmm. Shabon doesn't only do it for the Insta, the Q&As that is. He also sat down with the Hollywood Reporter this week to talk Picard, 
and more specifically Nepenthe. Shaman spoke about the reunion of Picard and the Troy Rikers and about the tense moment Picard had with Deanna, quote, When you're in the scene and knowing who Riker and Troy are and who they have been and trying to project them forward into a narrative that feels believable and incorporate some of the themes of this show, like reckoning with the past, if you're a fan of the show, this interaction, it's necessary. It's not expected, but it's important to the character of Picard to have this moment, end quote. He continues, quote, When someone calls you out on your expletive like that, on the things you're dealing with and not acknowledging that you should acknowledge, to me, that's the definition of a friend, end quote. Shabon also admitted to THR that Hugh and another former Borg, Icheb, were not originally planned for the series. The showrunner said of Hugh, quote, The initial germ of having Hugh involved and that he would die came from the natural discussions of what does it mean to have been Borg? So once we sort of committed to a big part of our season being about the lives of former Borg, XBs as we call them, and exploring how their lives are traumatized from that experience, how they have or have not dealt with that trauma, and how they remain these objects of fear and hatred even though they were victimized by the Borg, to put Hugh in the center of that led to what we felt like a dramatic way to service the character's end." End quote. Well, Captains, we will certainly be getting more into the episode Nepenthe, Picard's seventh episode for this season, later on in the show during our segment titled On Screen. And of course, we'll be diving even deeper and probably more colorfully in After Hours, our separate podcast exclusive to our patrons over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Michael Chabon wasn't the only Star Trek insider to defend the death of our beloved Hugh. Jonathan Del Arco, the man behind the cybernetics, sat down with Jordan Hoffman to discuss Hugh's ultimate sacrifice. Well, it's really important sort of in the show and the world because the, the, the world of the show is dystopian and very few people are willing to put themselves on the line for each other. There's, there's a need for that sort of connectivity and self-sacrifice. So, honored to have died for Picard. Del Arco went on to explain how the news of Hugh's demise affected the way the actor saw the role, saying, Actually, it was very liberating because I had about a month left to work on the show, and I had a lot of big stuff like this to do. And when you know, you're in a new series, you know, you're always trying to, like, you're, you're not play it safe, but you're trying to do things that are not going to upset anybody. And actually, this kind of blew the lid off that for me as an actor, and I was like, I'm just going to go for it and, and really be making bold choices as an actor. And so it was a really fun experiment that way. For a link to the StarTrek.com interview, check out our show notes. It really was a touching tweet and video that he put out. He has certainly embraced his return to Star Trek. Even though he got killed off, he came back and was really, could, you could tell that he was really excited. I mean, I remember a few months ago, I think there was a convention in Argentina, perhaps it might've been Brazil, and he filmed a video, you know, kind of promoting it, saying that he was really excited to go and he did it. He did it in English, he did it in Portuguese, did it in Spanish. I mean, awesome, 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 awesome. He did such a good job. I mean, I loved all those moments, you know, just to see him again and to see... It kind of brings his whole storyline. You see him, you know, become an individual, and then you see him give his ultimate sacrifice. For Picard, too, no less. Well, Captains, with the increasing risk of COVID-19, or more colloquially known as the coronavirus, the U.S. Center for Disease Control has issued a few tips on how to protect yourself. And who better to read this news than your Trekkie germaphobe? 
Now, here are some tips that the Center for Disease Control recommends, including avoiding close contact with others and proper hand washing techniques. And we might have yet another little tip for you that's inspired by Star Trek. On March 2nd, former presidential hopeful and founder of Humanity Forward, Andrew Yang, tweeted a photo of Leonard Nimoy Spock doing the Vulcan salute, saying, quote, I hate to say this, I'm not much of a germaphobe myself, but we might want to work on a personal greeting that doesn't involve physical contact. End quote. Sound crazy? Well, the U.S. government doesn't think so. You see, in a closed-door meeting of the House Democratic Caucus on Tuesday morning, an attending physician suggested the avoidance of touching and offered the Vulcan salute as an alternative. From the CNN article, quote, hand-to-hand contact to be avoided. The doctor encouraged lawmakers to use the Star Trek greeting, according to Democratic Representative Dean Phillips of Minnesota. Though he noted with a laugh he was unable to separate his fingers to properly make the gesture. End quote. Fascinating. All right. All right. So we've avoided the close contact thing. But what about proper hand washing? Because that's important. And I'm going to call you out if... I'm in a bathroom with you and you walk out without washing your hands. Well, according to the CDC and me, you should be washing your hands often and for at least 20 seconds. Now, you know what else takes about 20 seconds? Quoting the opening to Star Trek. The brilliant realization was tweeted out by our friends at Roddenberry with the caption, quote, we didn't make it up, end quote. So wash your hands until you get to where no one has gone before. Now, if you have extra dirt on your hands, the uh, physicians recommend that you uh, use the Kirk version, which of course ends where no man has gone before because it takes longer to do it in a Kirk voice. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. You know, Picard is much more smoothly delivered. So, you know, extra dirt, go Kirk. The Kirk one can be reserved for showers. <laughs> well, all I can say is, captains all around the world who listen to Priority One Podcast, please stay safe out there, practice proper hygiene, and follow the recommendations from your local governments and in the United States, the CDC, because we've got STLV coming up in a few months in August, and thankfully people were able to enjoy their time on the Star Trek cruise. No person that I've learned of has positively tested for any sort of virus or shown any symptoms. So captains, take care of yourselves out there, and we want to know if you're going to take this opportunity to use the Vulcan hand gesture to salute your friends. Let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or by replying to our community question post throughout the week. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to trek out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. All right, Captains, we've got some good bundle news and then some bad bundle news. Bad news, the Star Trek Online Legendary Starship Bundle is no longer available for purchase by PC players. For those of you who purchased the bundle already, you'll still be able to reclaim the ships from the sea store. For those of you who did not, you'll have to wait for the ships or the bundle to eventually return. The good news, though, is if you are a Star Trek Online player on a console like PlayStation 4 or Xbox, you'll be able to purchase the Legendary Starship Bundle yourself in less than a month. 
In a tweet from March 8th, Star Trek Online announced the bundle would hit consoles in exactly 30 days. So save up those strips of gold-pressed latinum and get your best builds ready to go, console captains. Disclaimer, gold-pressed latinum is not a valuable currency when trying to purchase the bundle. <laughs> you know, they fixed that bug for uh, people that did purchase the bundle that could not reclaim their ships on other characters, but it got fixed fairly quickly. On Tuesday morning, Ambassador Kale posted an interesting new article in the Stowe News blog. With the 2020 summer event already on the team's mind, they've decided to let players in on the creative process. On four weekly community live streams between March 11th and April 1st, members of the Cryptic development team will appear on stream. As Kale's blog says, quote, They'll be coached by a member of our ship design team or our concept artists, and all four of them will be assigned the same basic concept, a Rysian science ship. For the next two hours, they'll hand-draw a design for a ship based on that concept, end quote. The schedule of the team members appearing will be, on March 11th, senior environment artist Nick Duguid, March 18th, test analyst Christian Griffith, March 25th, senior content designer Jesse Heinig, April 1st, systems designer Jonathan Herlock. Once the concept designs are all completed, the four drawings will be presented to players to vote on their favorite. Then one more live stream will be dedicated to watching official concept artist Hector Ortiz turn the winner into a finalized Star Trek Online ship concept drawing. Tune into those weekly live streams on Cryptic Studios' Twitch channel at twitch.tv forward slash cryptic studios. I'm sorry, I'm confused here. So it's who's designing the ship it's it's nick christian jesse or jonathan yeah yeah they're designing four ships all of them and then we'll we'll vote to see who's the best yeah they're gonna sit down and be told you're drawing a rising science ship go and they're gonna design their best effort at a ship and then we get to vote on which one we like the best yeah and then hector will do it for real i think it's awesome i think it's cool that the other artists and other developers are flexing their their muscle, and I, you know, it's it's great that they're getting feedback from the community in terms of the progress. I don't know. I kind of I kind of wish that they would do another enterprise contest. No, no, thing, no, no, you know, no, where, no, 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 no. Why no, not? No, 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 no. For two reasons. Number one, I wanted a Ferengi yeah, ship. Well, maybe a Ferengi. I mean, a Ferengi might work, but they they don't need to do it anymore at the Enterprise. They've got their flagship. They've got the Odyssey. No, but no, no, it's, no, 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 no. I'm not saying to do another Enterprise. I'm saying to get concepts from the community and then pick the favorite from the community. Oh, they can't do that without a work-for-hire agreement. I mean, they did it for the Enterprise F, right? They, was, they made it into a contest, and the winner had to, you know, figure... They, they There are ways to figure it out. Skiffy and I, and the other podcasts that we've done, we went to a, a finale for a community contest for, the, for Star Citizen. That ship hasn't really ever fully materialized, so I'm pleased to see that this is a more streamlined uh, 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 process that's definitely going to turn into something in time for summer. Because by this calendar, they'll have it. They'll, Hector will be done with it by mid-April, which gives them six to eight weeks to you know put it in the game, which I think is a reasonable goal. And because it's all internal to Cryptic, we avoid the problem that Kat was talking about, having to do contracts and whatnot. And we avoid the, the Star Citizen problem, which is having a bunch of people that don't really do this very often jump into it for the first time. And they, they said they'll be guided by either ship design team or, uh, or concept artist. So they'll say, don't do that. That's a great strut you want to put there, but we can't make that work in the engine. You know, so they'll, they'll have some guidance from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, Rysian ships follow a basic shape and template, so I think they'll have a basic shape down, right? Be, you know, 
just with modifications? I don't know. This will be really in- I'm excited to watch these. Is there a design language for Rysian ships? Rysian ships? Is there? I, I, I don't know that there's anything that screams Rysian to me. They usually kind of look like a speedboat. You know, like they're fast and, you know, they have those two... I don't know what even know what you call those. The, 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 like the, the catamaran, the catamaran yeah. hull. Yeah. Those things. Yeah. I, I, that's. I mean, yeah. But I don't think they're bound to that though, and I think that's the great thing. The, if someone, if they were to go a different direction with it, I don't think anybody would care. There's not going to be like a whole, you know, cadre of people that come up and say, "Oh my God, you've ruined the Rysian aesthetic. We can't have three hulls." No. I only fly Rysian ships. All two of them. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, there's enough of a brand here that I think gives them some direction, but there's plenty of flexibility. Of uh, uh, no one really knows what a rising ship looks like, as opposed to say a Ferengi or a Klingon or a Romulan ship. People have preconceived notions of those things. Plus, I just like that they're trying something uh, new because, uh, as you pointed out, Tony, they've done the next great, uh, <laughs> the next great starship. They've done the community designing a ship. They've done the Lucari thing where they let the community vote on like different options and and put together the final design and now they're going to try something by trying uh having their own internal uh teammates make something that uh, they wouldn't normally make I, I think it's great well captains that brings us to our next community question for this week do you hope to follow along with the development of the new summer event ship let us know in the comments section for this episode at priority1podcast.com or just follow us on facebook or twitter because we'll be posting these for your replies on social media This week in Armada News, we have an announcement. We are changing TFO Tuesday to TFO Thursday. So starting on March 19th, join us on the Thursday, uh, and we will run some missions together in-game and, yeah, have a lot of fun, get some marks and dilithium. Also in Armada News, Epsilon Fleet has finally been working on its Tier 5 colony upgrades. Well done, Epsilon Fleet. And House of Martok is finally working on its last tier five colony upgrade so thank you so much to all the members contributing to those fleets did i see something in conversation about a change to admiralty and the lithium and how that's going to be great for like the klingon fleet for instance did i misread something they have changed the rewards basically in the admiralty system so you don't get straight up dilithium you get fleet only dilithium as a reward there's two. They made two changes. Uh, Ferengi and Klingon used to give you a lump of Dilithium ore when you completed the tenth uh, tour of duty or whatever they were called. One of them now gives you uh, fleet only ore, fleet only vouchers. The other one, instead of giving you uh, a a deluge of Dilithium, it now gives you a bonus pool, and you uh, just automatically unlock that on your character and get bonus Dilithium as you're earning it in game. And that's already live today. And in an effort to lend a hand to new players or even surprise the most veteran captains in Star Trek Online, here's our top tip. Suppose you've been playing the game for a good while now and you finally hit Tier 6 completion and at least a handful of those reputations. You're a little bored and you'd like to spice up the game with a fun new ship. But you don't want to spend your cash or convert your dilithium stash to zen. You don't even really care all that much about a new ship trait because the trait on the ship you want won't fit your build. All you gotta do is remember to visit the ship vendor in your favorite social hub. In the ship vendor UI, just filter the ship list to rank fleet tier 6. 
Pick out a Tier 6 fleet ship you're itching to try. Make sure you've claimed at least 5 fleet ship modules as Tier 6 reputation rewards for 100 rep marks each. Then go ahead and buy that Tier 6 fleet ship for just 20,000 fleet credits plus your 5 fleet ship modules. Since the modules obtained as rep rewards are character bound, they're only useful for fleet ship purchases anyway. And 13 modules is more than most captains will need to upgrade their favorite sea store ships to fleet standard. Remember, of course, the fleet ships purchased through the ship vendor are not account-wide unlocks. And you won't enjoy their maxed mastery trait. But it's a great way to try out the one ship you've always been curious about without getting too invested. In other gaming news... Wait! Timelines change imminent! According to a press release on VentureBeat.com, mobile game operator Tilting Point has acquired Star Trek Timelines from Disruptor Beam. In support of the new acquisition, Tilting Point announced the formation of a new studio, Wicked Realm Games, along with the hiring of 19 team members from Disruptor Beam. Meanwhile, Disruptor Beam will focus on its proprietary free-to-play gaming engine. Tilting Point has been partnered with Disruptor Beam on Timelines since offering user acquisition funding in 2017. Speaking in an interview, Tilting Point CEO Kevin Sagala said, quote, We're very excited about this acquisition of Star Trek Timelines. It's a phenomenal game, and we see an opportunity to take the game and add more resources to help make it better. We've extended the license on it, and we're adding new content, including the newest show, Star Trek Picard, which is great. End quote. Well, that won't take them long. There's only, what, two ships? Right. <laughs> two ships, a handful of people. And a half-dissected board cube. Well, remember, Timelines isn't just the ships. It's the characters as well. So you could see, you know, the uh, F.A. Android or Dodge or Picard, older Picard. Kind yeah, there's of less of those every week, too. Next. Ah! <laughs> What's user acquisition funding? That's interesting. I went poking around on this one because this interested me uh, maybe more than it should have. The company is the uh, tilting point. They basically go out and get you customers. They'll they will go out and advertise and do uh, you know advertising campaigns and recruitment drives and then deliver those to the game company for apparently no upfront money from the game company. So they'll spend their own money to go uh, acquire everyone and then take a commission or a headhunting fee or whatever for those uh, for the amount of customers that were delivered. So one of the things in gaming is, you know, how much does it take to get a new user? And, some, and most games will put a dollar figure on that, how much they expect to have to spend to get a new user on board, and then how much the, they expect each customer to give them back over a lifetime. This company just says, we'll take care of that first part for you. And apparently it works, because the other fun thing I found out when I was doing a little research, Star Trek Timelines has made $100 million. Really? Yeah. According to these people, they when they when they did the price tag on, on on acquiring this thing, the number they tossed out was well, it's a hundred million dollar game. So wow, yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of money to be made in those uh, mobile handheld games, especially if they're licensed to uh, from a well known IP. We're in the wrong business, guys. We we definitely are. That's it for this week in gaming news. Now let's look on screen for the seventh episode of Star Trek Picard, titled Nepenthe. On screen. Computer. Set Star Trek Picard, Episode 7. Nepenthe. On screen. Let's go back in time, three weeks, to the Daystrom Institute in Okinawa. Remember that vague conversation that Agnes and Admiral O had? 
it was not so vague. Turns out, according to O, if synths aren't eliminated, they'll go all Schwarzenegger and Agnes pukes. Back in the now, the La Serena is trying to shake the artifact tractor beam. Narek is getting his ducks in a row, and once his snakehead is ready to launch, the La Serena breaks free. Oddly, no one has a bad feeling about this. On Nepenthe, Soji is told in the most nonchalant of ways that she is an android. Picard reunites with Will Riker, Deanna Troy, and their daughter Kestra. Kestra and Soji hit it off, but even their newfound sisterhood and the most delicious-looking bunny corn sausage pizza ever can't convince Soji that this crew is worth trusting. Troy scolds Jean-Luc in all the right ways, and our hero Picard proves himself to Soji. Hugh and Elnor are still on the Borg artifact, and things suck. Hugh watches XBs die, gets saved by Elnor, then gets Romulanister's throwing dart to his neck. But good news, Elnor gets away and calls an intergalactic badass Seven of Nine. On the La Serena, Agnes gets cake and chocolate milk, then listens to Rios discuss a possible Rafi betrayal before injecting herself with neranium hydride and or Agnes puke. But the La Serena crew lose Narek, thanks puke, just in time to pick up Picard and Soji. Let's dive in. Okay, first of all, my English-speaking friends, it is not the La Serena. You are essentially saying the the Serena. It is just La Serena. Let's just keep it that way. Okay, my friends, there, I have taught you something today. It's like a hot water heater. It's just all kinds of redundant. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's talk about some of the more poignant touchstones of past Trek in this episode of, of Nepenthe. If, if you don't already know, Kestra is Deanna Troy's sister's namesake. So if you remember the episode of TNG, what, what's it called? The Dark Page, I believe. Luoxana is having these these flashbacks of uh, her firstborn daughter, who Deanna never had the opportunity of meeting. Her name was Kestra, so they named their child the Troys. The Troy Rikers named their their child Kestra in, in her honor. I can't think of any other touchstones beyond that that popped out of my that that, that jumped out to me. Oh well, the bunny corn, right? The bunny corn isn't that the throwback to those unicorn dogs, and also they're adorable. Oh yeah. Oh, you know what else is the Ferrasans? Kazinti. Oh, Kazinti. Right, right, right. Kazinti are a throwback to the animated series. I'm surprised. I'm surprised they tossed it in there because I thought the whole reason they didn't do Kazinti in Star Trek Online was a licensing problem with uh, Larry Page. Can't remember the guy's name, the author's name, but the, he. I think he wrote that episode of TAS, and then uh, uh, they couldn't use it ever again because that, that was his IP. So I guess they fixed that. Now, you have to listen to it very carefully in the episode of uh, Picard because Riker kind of gives it a throwaway line. Like he raises the shields in his little house on the prairie and opens up the cannons and the, the missile silos and locks down the, the house all because of the Kazinthi. So, yeah, you got to listen. You got you to gotta listen to that one. Advisory Panda in our chat mentioned that Gerardi is listening to Cassilian Opera, which is a callback to Discovery. Oh, wow. Yep, that is another throwback to Discovery. Good catch. All right. So let's uh, let's talk about the episode and give our impressions of it. Uh, Kat, why don't you go first? This may be my favorite episode because, of course, you love to see Picard rejoin with Troy and Riker. And just you just feel like that was just coming home. And, you know, you see the situation there and now and, you know, where Picard's at. And Deanna 
man, she really brought it home. She was so fantastic. I love Marina Sirta's performance in this episode. Super powerful. I mean, I cried a couple of times. It was really, really good. I loved it. I'm glad they let her play it a little less over the top when it used to be, right? She's like had a few years to work on this, and it's no longer, you know, when when the emotions come or whatever. She's got it a little more together. Like when they first met, when she first met Picard, there they like they like they hug him, and then she pulls back for a second. You just look at her for a second, then she sort of tilts her head and kind of goes, "Ah." You know, it's like, oh, okay, she's doing the empathic thing there, but she's not, like, collapsing into a little puddle under the bridge, right? I thought that was a lot. They, they, let, her, they let her be a little more subtle, and I thought that was much better. Yeah. I liked Kestra. It, it, I, I liked her the second time I watched the episode. The first time I watched the episode, it was a little too spunky for me. It was a little too – it felt over the top, like, wow, that's a departure. But the second time I watched the episode, I was like, okay, no, I could see that. I could see her being their daughter. That's that that that's about. She's blonde. That's about right. I, I that, that that's the one. that's like, wait, wait a minute, hold on, come on. You got the Beta Z with. Oh, because they're both brunettes. Yeah, I mean Picard. I mean it, Riker. Riker's like you know you think back in the days the big black beard, right? Back in the day, Sirtis had like the long, dark hair, right? I mean, what are they doing casting a blonde girl for that part? Too recessive can make a blonde. My mom has black hair, and I came out blonde. Wait, wait, she's a synth. Bingo. There it is. Yeah, maybe, maybe. (laughs) This episode, for me overall, reminded me a lot of the scene in Logan where they have this short respite with the family they help on the highway with their horses. Right before they all get murdered. Right. Just before... Xavier, spoiler alert, gets murdered by um, Weapon X. Young Wolverine. Wolverine's clone. Yeah. So it, it serves its purpose as giving us that, that, that respite, right? And then on top of that, we are we fall into the embrace of this, of a family and friendship that we have loved for over 30 years, for 30 years now. You know, like, yes, it warmed my heart. I, I don't understand why Hugh had to die. We all have things to say about Hugh. Let me finish the Rikers first. Uh, the, the, it was all very fan service, and it was an important thing. I, I can't remember if it was during on screen last week or during the show proper when I said when they want to bring back old Picard, they'll do it with pomp and circumstance. When old Picard is back, they're going to point fingers at it and flashing signs at it. And they did when the dinner table, like, you know, thoughts, everyone around my briefing room, ready room table. I've got a mission now. You can't stop me. So they've decided to turn the Picard switch back on here in this episode. And my second uh, thing here we need to talk about, this should have happened about four episodes ago. This should happen a long time ago uh, to because we're, we're now late in the game. Did it or is this... Are we late in the game, or is this something that it's because we're being forced to watch it weekly feels out of place? Because I feel like if I was able to binge this, I would have appreciated this episode more in the grand scheme of the th- of the story. And you would have gotten there faster too, like that scene in Logan. <laughs> well, that scene, you know, that scene in Logan takes place pretty late in the film. You know, it, it's 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 definitely late second act. You know. And that scene served a purpose. It served a very specific purpose in Logan. We, we have that respite of them finally feeling like a family. So, you know, uh, Xavier gives that little monologue to uh, dialogue with uh, with Wolverine, with Logan about that, that feeling of, of 
this is what it could be. This is what this could look like kind of thing for us. And then everything goes to hell, right? So the Wolverine clone comes in and then kills Xavier. And Wolverine finds Xavier and is there for Xavier's death. He is present for Xavier's death. And even though it was a painful moment to watch him die in his arms, to watch Xavier die in Wolverine's arms, it served a very specific purpose to fuel, to continue the Logan's motive to protect the girl and... And Picard has no idea it happened. Right. Or has already should have assumed it happened because as far as he knew, as soon as he jumped through the Stargate, they were dead. You know, Hugh and Hugh and Elnor were dead. Yeah, yeah. I just I I don't see yet the ramifications of Hugh's death other than putting blood on screen. Other than it being simply uh pull the carpet from under your feet move. That's exactly how it felt. Or rather them trying to uh, meet this this standard that's happening now with television. You know, we made the joke earlier about uh, Game of Thrones and, and the Romulan... Romulanisters. Romulanisters, right? There, 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 was a, there was a point where television writers seemed to think that it was in the best interest of the show if they kept yanking characters that audiences invested in, right? Like, don't tr- don't love these characters too much because they can, they can be taken from you, you know, any moment. Be careful. I mean, this was definitely established in The Walking Dead for sure. And then later on in, in, in Game of Thrones and further, like, you just cannot, as an audience member, relax into the concept that a character, a beloved character, is going to survive something. And yet here we are in Picard with them seemingly falling into that now, this this trope of, of serialized television that, that's happening as of late. You can't. You cannot trust that your character is going to live. And again, my question is, what purpose did this serve? Who is this going to influence? Is it going to be Seven? Did Seven know Hugh? Did Seven have a relationship with Hugh? Are we going to feel that connection? Between Seven and Hugh? We have to assume that Seven knows of Hugh because she was part of the collective after Hugh was assimilated. Right. But were they friends? Did they were they in communicado during the during the Romulan relocation? Were, were they talking while she's on on Fenris and he's on the Borg artifact? Are they sharing information? Are they friends? If this is to show or or move Seven's story forward, how what time do they have to, to have us as the audience feel invested in that relationship like yes seven's got to get revenge if they had played it where picard witnessed the death before going through the 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 portal then maybe i could see like we have to go now we have you know but no this was a this was just them killing q to to with us the in the game of thrones it followed the books right and the books were all very plotty right everything everything was butterfly effect this person dies it has these effect on the characters around them because their particular angles or plot lines were connected to this character's ability to do x y or z whatever it was it was a bunch of dominoes that fell down right when Picard jumped through the Stargate, that was it. As far as he knew, Elnor and Hugh were going to their deaths. So when they actually killed Hugh off, all they're doing is fulfilling Picard's expectations. Hugh's sacrifice or whatever happened when he said, go through, I'll shut down the gate behind you. That's when his sacrifice happened. The show didn't need to kill him. 
because he'd already done the go captain my captain I salute you thing in the previous episode the the, the surprising thing would have let Hugh survive it against all odds that would have been the sur- the surprising thing to let him reunite with with Picard and and Elnor what Elnor just met this guy like five minutes ago what does he know Mofungo Jones in the chat mention, says that. Like, what if Hugh's death is more to make Elnor feel remorse and dissatisfaction for letting down Picard? I, I Maybe that's how they're going to play it, but as an audience, I'm already setting myself up to not believe that because they didn't write that in. Elnor just met the guy. Yeah, we're not that invested in Elnor as an audience yet. And, and he's he's the next thing he does, where did that little tag thing come from? The Fenris Ranger tag? I think he, no, I think he pulled it off of Hugh. No, he was he was he was alone on the on this platform because there's a zoom out moment where or rather a zoom in moment and he's by himself and it's hanging off of this thing of, in the middle of nowhere. Oh. I watched it twice. I have no idea where that thing came from. Well, I'm not sure, but when you know in the preview 7 comes in is like where is Hugh because she knew that was his tag or something. Yeah, I, I, this is one of... So she must know him. She must know him. This is, but you see, this is one of those moments where I think this serialized storytelling, at least for Star Trek, is not working on a week-to-week basis. It's just not. I, 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 no joke, this weekend just binged The Hunters on Amazon Prime. I mean, that is a phenomenal series. Holy crap. It had me from beginning to end. No joke. I almost, I I mean, it's like 10 10 or 13 episodes, and I almost did it straight. I'm wondering if they are hurting themselves. They're not. They're not, because people are are coming back and, you know, they, they keep their subscriptions going for CBS All Access. But I just feel like this would just be so much of a better experience being binged. They, they shot themselves in the foot doing it this way. I, I Discovery suffered from the same thing. They're they're making this for, yes, to get people to join CBS All Access, but they're looking forward to three years from now when they get a new CBS All Access subscriber, and then those people can binge Star Trek Picard. I mean, they, they're looking, they're making a category that, or, you know, a, a catalog that will have these uh, shows in there, and they'll, they'll, people keep coming back to the well. This was the episode where my wife said, I'm done. She said last week that it, was the, it seemed like a Rube Goldberg device, uh, that they were just you know making intricate little things just to take longer to get from point A to point B. Uh, and she said this one, she says, this, you know, I'm out. She says, it's like, why, why are they doing all this stuff? We know what needs to happen, just go do it. Well, you know what, that brings up another good point about like your wife saying that she's done. She's done with the show. The longer we go into the season, the more I'm seeing this become more commonplace. This concept of of of, of Trekkies being really, really disappointed with the dystopia of Star Trek Picard. That there is so little hope so far. Like we're just not seeing hope. We haven't seen hope since maybe episode two. And even though this episode this episode was a great respite because we were with Deanna and 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 Will, it still killed Hugh, which was something that, like you said, Tony, would have probably been more surprising had he survived. And I think a, a bolder choice writing-wise to keep him alive. I'm hearing more and more Trekkies be really disappointed with the dystopia and how hopeless 
this series has become. Even on, with with the Riker, Troy Rikers, they it was still kind of hopeless. I mean, you know, Deanna had to have a come to Jesus moment with Picard. The synth band killed their son. The synth band killed their son. Oh, you know, all th- yeah. That leads me to my prediction that you think I think Kestra is going to develop the same condition. And now that Soji is her friend, they'll somehow develop a cure from that. Sure, why not? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the sort of that was a sort of heavy-handed uh, sort of foreshadowing that is like you know, oh, you know, it's not you know, we we still need our we still need the synths because they have something to contribute. Well, the concept that the Federation has sort of like fallen or is not has taken that to use Shabon's uh, sort of phrase, the shine's been taken off of it, right? You know, they're not as all powerful and as all. Uh, 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 altruistic as they had been in the past. Well, it resulted in the death of a starship captain's oldest child and forced his retirement. So this is like one of those things where if we're really, if they're, it's not even, forget about the whole moral utopia thing. Just think about smartness, right? Just think about like using your brains. The synth thing helped out with so many different things, labor. It helped with medicine. It helped with, you know, uh, other, probably presumably other areas of research that Gerardi and her colleagues were, uh, were in. Removing that entire sector of technology with very little regard for the consequences of removing it, that just seems like they're not just taking the shine off of it. They got significantly dumber. Like, the Federation got dumber in the 15 years since Picard retired. The gears just don't fit. I understand we're in a different area era, and you know things are different now. But it's just like make the world make sense to us, and it just doesn't. Well, there are only three episodes left, and there's quite a bit to wrap up in this storytelling. We can only we can only guess. We can only guess and take it one week at a time until the inevitable cliffhanger. Until the inevitable cliffhanger. That is absolutely (laughs) absolutely true. On a lighter note. The Riker Troy cabin is the same one used in The Great Outdoors with John Candy and Dan Aykroyd. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's awesome. It also looks a lot like the cabin that Tony Stark had in the Avengers Endgame. The Endgame Endgame cabin had a really nice porch, and this one did not. A covered porch, and this one did not. I only know that because I, no joke, just watched Endgame again like three or four nights ago. Ah. Well, Captains, we're going to be diving deeper into this episode on After Hours. A show completely exclusive to our patrons over at patreon.com forward slash priority one at just $10 a month. Not only do you get access to things like our private discord channels exclusive to our patrons, but you also get an entire new podcast episode each and every week. An additional 30 minutes at least of us talking about the latest headlines or episode of Star Trek. That wraps up this week's On Screen for Star Trek Picard. Now, let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Our first community question this week was, should William Shatner reprise his role as Captain Kirk, either as a cameo or in a title role, a la Picard? From Twitter, Henry, otherwise known as at Romulan Ale, says, Kirk should come back for us one more time. I get that they killed him in the movie, but I won't see anything if you won't. From Facebook, Mike McLeod writes in, First, Shatner said he was not interested in cameo roles. Second, the reason behind Shatner's decision were logical. God bless the man. I fully understand and support Shatner's explanation and decision. We owe Shatner some respect with his decision. Kirk died as an optimistic hero. Nothing more to be written. 
Mike, I'm gonna disagree as uh, about that optimistic hero thing. I, I, I think he was given a terrible death. Mm-hmm. He, he also didn't die alone like he predicted in previous film. That too. From Facebook, Mark Jenkins writes, No, Bill Shatner has had his time as Captain Kirk. I don't really know what story they could tell for him. He's run his course as one of Starfleet's best ever captains, and that's how his legacy should be left. Pike is unexplored, though, so CBS, if you're listening, we're waiting. Uh-huh. That's right. Our second community question this week was, are you more likely to pick up the Mako or Wrath of Khan costumes now that they move to the Lobby store? On Facebook, AJ Biega writes in, Yes, on the Mako, but only when it's on sale. 300 Lobi is too much. Would have been better if it was 200. I mean, it's not a ship. Not sure why it's 300 at all. Because Space Barbie, that's why. From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Tyler Maxwell says, Correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't they essentially more expensive now? Take the Mako uniform. It used to cost 2 million dilithium. Assuming a 425 dil per zen exchange rate, that 2 million dilithium would convert to about 4,700 zen. Compare that to the new Lobi store price at 300 Lobi. At an average of 4 Lobi per open lockbox, it'll take about 75 keys to get that 300 Lobi. At 125 zen apiece, purchasing 75 master keys costs a total of 9,375 zen. Aha! But! Wow! But! There's an event running right now that'll give you a thousand lobby by the end of the year if you True. participate for free. True that. But you should just get it when it's on sale for sure. And way to math that, Tyler Maxwell. Well, I got a, I got, a, I got a bone to pick, Tyler Maxwell. Here's your homework for next week: lower that 425 to about 250, because that's where Cryptic wants it to be. That's where they're shooting for. That's what their ideal is. So run the math on that and see what so you come double. up with. So basically double it. So double the 4,700? Or have it. Yeah, will it double it or have it? Well, yeah, yeah have, yeah. Depending on how you're looking at it, yeah, you're doubling doubling the cost or having the result. Right, so uh, it would be more dilithium to get the costume, right? You'd have to earn more dilithium to convert to Zen. Correct. So, I mean, so take that 425 and chop it roughly in half, and that's about doubling 4,700, which puts it at 9,400, which is right where they want it to be. So I think, I mean, I think their math works out pretty solidly. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel I'm, I'm happy to be corrected if I am wrong. But uh, but I, I think that they've they've looked at the economy and decided that dilithium's out of whack. So let's tone down the earn rates a little bit, uh, and they're moving some stuff around. But I think they're still trying to keep it roughly level, at least to their ideal. Well, but I mean, I th- I see it as more of a consistency thing. Like these were the only outfits. Uh, well, okay. Space so suits. there's also. There's also the yeah the the EV suits, but there's these were the only like suits that were in uh, costume outfits that were in the the lithium store, and they were absurdly priced. Now I'm not saying they're not absurdly priced now, but they are more in line with what the outfits cost in the Lobby store, which I do think are 200 each, aren't they? Mm-hmm. They are. So I mean, it's it's a little bit more consistent now, but yeah, in general, the lithium's easier to come by than Lobby. You, you just there aren't that many outlets for getting free lobby, but there's one going on right now. Well, that wraps up episode 452 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast and recommended by physicians everywhere. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and most importantly, share them with your friends. We can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like Diana Gunther, Darnell Dwayne Ross, David K. Rutley, Joshua Selig, and Peter Archibald. And here's a reminder of our community questions for this week. 
Are you going to be using the Vulcan salute as your de facto greeting? Or have you been using it already? Also, will you be participating in the development of the new Ryzean science ship and what it will look like? Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters and me and the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, whether you're new or veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you cannot make a financial contribution, please spread the word about our show and invite your fellow Trekkies to get their weekly roundup of news and reviews right here. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, William, Brandon, Rand, Daniel, Roscoe, and Skiffy. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, and associate producer, Shane Hoover, for assisting in the weekly production of this podcast by organizing and writing up our summaries of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry Pomper, with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage. The physician said, the physician and the physician, the the, oh my gosh, physician, physicist, I can't say the word now, physician, physician, the physician, oh my God, it's one of those words now that if you get, yeah, the people doctor, the people doctor said to do it the right way. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of a species. Species, species or species. species. And then we go to Riza or Riza. Rizian? Rizian or Ryzen? Physician. The physician. Physician. Why can't I say that word? The doctor encouraged lawmakers to. 
That's so weird. My brain just shorted out. The visit. All right. So we've avoided the close contact thing. But what about. <laughs> it's not my. Yo, I'm telling you, it's been a rough week, man. It's been a rough week. Falling apart the seams here. Tuesday. It's only Tuesday. It's, it's been, been a rough. rough it's been a rough year this week. <laughs> yes. If you plan on using the Vulcan salute as your new de de facto, de facto, de facto, de facto, de facto, duh, and duh, duh, de facto, duh, de facto, de facto, de facto, no, it's de facto. <laughs> De facto, de facto. I don't, I Look, don't physicians sleep. around the world, cannot... especially from the Rizian court, uh, quarter. De facto. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Skippy. Physi the English physician. language has been canceled this evening. <laughs> Please join us next time. All right. Hugh watches XB's die, gets saved by Elnor. You can't, yeah, you can't laugh. Like <laughs> they all get shot like 80,000 times. Oh my god, it's just terrible. <laughs> good times. Okay. Good times. But no, that was good. It needs to be like it needs to be like that. Narcissa. Nar oh. She is what? kind of a Narcissa, right? <laughs> I know, right? I don't think anybody knows her as Narissa though. I just, uh, wait, what do we call them, the Romulan Lannisters? Yeah. Um, no, she's, um, she's Ra Rizzo. 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 She, she's probably Rissa, because it's short for Narissa. <laughs> but I like Romulan Lannister. No, it's Narissa Rizzo. Narissa Rizzo. Yeah, Romulan Lannister, I like, yeah, do that. He watches XB's die, gets saved by Elnor, then gets Rom... <laughs> I can't even do it, it makes me laugh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> on other characters, but it got fixed fairly quickly. I... Uh, yeah. All right, I don't have anything to say about that. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, let's see. On Tuesday... Hold on. <clears throat> I swear I'm not getting sick or anything. It's just allergies. If you need to cough or sneeze, please turn to the side. <laughs> don't get on your microphone. <laughs> Yeah, into, into the elbow, that's good, yeah, because if it goes in the microphone, we're all going to get it. That is the Obviously. good thing about our podcast, is that we're not, for the, for, in the, for self... the first thing, is that we're all in def different states. Exactly. Self-isolating, no mm -hmm. problem. <laughs> and plus you're on drinking Tuesday... disinfectant. Oh, well, absolutely. Yeah. I knew yeah. I should have got whiskey, too, mm. to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Podcast.roddenberry.com the Roddenberry Podcast Network.